Hi, everybody, and welcome to this special mini episode of Belongings. Sometimes people ask me about how we can actually help Syrian refugees, how we can help the people, the communities that Karam serves, how we can take action. And so we pulled this part of an episode that's coming up soon in the future, in which I had a conversation with Karam's director of philanthropy, Rose, or Gul Makal, and she has a spectacular life story. It's so interesting and so compelling. And it got to a point in the conversation where we were talking about how we can actually help Syrian refugees, specifically in this conversation, the Syrian refugees who've been affected directly by the terrible earthquake that happened in February 2023. And so we wanted to share this mini episode that is really focused on how we can take action to support vulnerable displaced communities and to share a little bit of Rose's interview, and we will share Rose's full episode later. Please enjoy this mini episode of Belongings. I mean, I'd wake to three, I would wake up three hours early just to walk around the streets of Rehelma, you know, it's like, just take it all in. And I, you know, I feel, I remember vividly, I like the feeling of my heart is full, but my heart is also breaking. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm Turkish. I, you know, we have a very, like, my door is always open. And that's just how my parents raised me. That's just how my family is. It's come have tea, like share the space with me. Like my space is your space. Let's break bread together. Right. Um, That's been such a big part of my identity in the United States. But in the United States, I also like know what it means to be pointed fingers at and like what people think undocumented is like you're you're a criminal you're this you're that um and just being um bullied in a sense like and I was like that's not gonna happen in Turkey right like I'm in Turkey I'm walking in Rehelma I feel like my heart is full but it, it was also so heartbreaking to see this beautiful community that exists together, but there's still, you can feel, um, for some people, honestly, it's true. You can feel the hatred towards the Syrian refugees in Rehelma. And that to me was so heartbreaking because no, like we're Turkish. Like we no, this is not it. We open, like these are brothers and sisters. Like you live together in harmony. Like you, you have all these flourishing businesses. I remember vividly, I was talking to you know, the taxi driver who's a family-owned business that's worked with Kadam for as long as Kadam has been there, right? There's like, Kadam helps support your business and you drive all these people, you meet all these people. So I was like, so naive. I was like, you know, how do you feel about, you know, all these incredible people being here? Obviously it's hard. Um, and I remember this young man, right? He's got to be in his early 20s saying, well, you know, it's not what you think. It's really hard actually. And in my head, I was like, what do you mean it's really hard? Like, it works for you. Like, these folks technically, like, we pay for a life for you to, like, have, you know, a business and flourish and be a part of this community. Um, But there is a lot of scapegoating and there's a lot of prejudice. And I think that's probably more now after the earthquakes because people are just struggling. Everybody's struggling and unfortunately, it's it, it it seems to be even in history like this human nature to constantly find a scapegoat to blame a human for the problems that are not caused by that person or by that community. And feeling that, you know, it's something I'm still trying to process. Like, I'm, I mean, there's a lot of like Turkish folks in in the border that's grateful and that that opens their doors. And you know, yeah, your neighbors, 
Um, but at the same time, what was also kind of related, unrelated, that was really powerful for me to see was after the earthquake, right? Our staff, 85% majority Syrian refugees, um, some of whose stories I'd never heard of before. And I was like, oh my God, how do you show up every day after all that you've experienced and are still so positive? Um, they're like, well, you know, it's the earthquake happened. You know, at the end of the day, we've been through what feels like the worst thing. This is just the norm. Unexpected things are going to constantly happen. We're going to lose everything. We're going to have to rebuild. It's really exhausting, but we have nothing to do but to rebuild, right? So they show up and then you can feel this sense of um, loss within like certain parts of the Turkish community in Rehanla that still couldn't, like months later, are still in shock of like everything that they've lost. Yeah. So, so the recovery of process for folks that have experienced loss and trauma, I, like from just seeing it is way faster than like, I mean, there are still very much to this day. I talked to some of my cousins that were in the Rayhelny area during the earthquake. Like I have no words. I still have not recovered. So, you know, and it's, it's something that I think we're proud of as, as a community that goes through challenges of like saying, well, you know, I've been through one, I can live through another. What, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Like that, that, that term that we have in the U S I think as I get older, yeah. I'm disliking that term more and more. It's kind of like how, when people always want to talk about resilience and that just makes me, you know, yeah. on one hand, yes, of course, it's very good to be resilient. It's good to be able to teach your children and um, help others become more resilient, especially young people. But then it makes you very, when you zoom out and you're, you become a little bit resentful because it's like, oh, why, why are only like refugees? Why are only immigrants? Why are only marginalized people? Like we're, they're so resilient um, and other people don't even need to be resilient. And there is that, it goes back to that um, privilege and inequity that's in society too, because only a certain kind of community or a certain kind of existence are people that either they're asked to be resilient or they're just, you know, celebrated for their resilience. And it's not fair. Well, resilience is yeah. deeply exhausting. Absolutely. So, you know, that trip was transformational for you, I know. And uh, meeting the kids and seeing the families and all of that was just, its it, I mean, I just, um, I'm so happy that you were able to have that experience. Before we go, we're going to be wrapping up uh, and going into our shorter questions. But I also, you mentioned Little Amal, and I know that, I wonder how that ties in. You just saw Little Amal in uh, California, and we saw her together in Montgomery. And I'm wondering if there's any, the ties between the trip Karam House, Little Emma, Syrian refugee kids, all of that coming together and actually being on another border. If you want to talk a little bit about that experience. Yes. So I first experienced Amal when, as a team, we were in Montgomery. We were doing our staff and board retreat. Um, and I was like, I was, I remember being blown away. There's Amal is this 12-foot puppet that represents a nine-year-old Syrian refugee in search of home and belonging because she's lost and um, she's trying to find her way, right? I remember being so moved. I was like, wow, she's incredible. She's larger than life. Like what incredible artistry and a way to advocate 
for just the refu- not just the refugee population because that's constantly going to be growing. I finally accept that, and we need to do something about it. But a, a young nine-year-old Syrian refugee. So I was nine when I came to the U.S. So that was also just for me very powerful and emotional. But that was it. That was, those were the feelings, and then. Um, on her LA to San Diego and then to San Ysidro and to Mexico trip, I followed her. So I joined Amal. I met the team. The team's incredible. Um, I was able to observe like the, how the crowd interacted with her. And like, I became, I think my, like my defense mechanism started slowly coming down um, to really look at Amal as, as magic, right? She truly is magic. You can see, you know, I saw parents hug their daughters and their kids so tight saying, oh my God, I can never imagine you being out there in the world and just looking for a place to feel safe. Um, I saw parents cry. I saw kids so excited to like come out of school and wave saying, Amma, welcome. We love you. Like you can stay with us. You can, I can share my bed with you. So seeing that two very different reactions to Amal, right? Like adults seeing the hurt and the obstacle and that painful journey. And then the kids being so welcoming and wanting to be like, oh, I can share my toys with you um, was really, really powerful because Amal is not just a 12 foot puppet. You know, she very much embodies the hopefulness of youth, where you very blindly, in the best way, walk into spaces and you're like, everyone's of course going to want to play and, you know, want to get to know me because I I just, I'm larger than life and I want to know, I want to know about you and I want to know about your community. Um, But San Ysidro part of that trip was very, very emotional for me. I mean, I've avoided all borders around the United States with dear life. Like I would take our detours. Um, And even though I've been here for 23 years, I have my green card. There are certain things that I recognize were built into me that I can never, ever, I think, um, get rid of. What I mean by that is, so as Amal was going to San Ysidro, um, which is a border town, um, very much like Rehanla. You can see Mexico as you could see Syria from Rehanla. You can see Mexico from, from that region of um, California. And it is a migrant community. And you can see, you know, there isn't much. It's not built up. It seems like a, um, you know, low socioeconomic part of California, but there's so much love and there's so much positive energy. And that's like, that, that just embodies the essence of migration. It embodies the essence of gratefulness and graciousness. Um, that was really, really powerful. But for me internally, um, it, it's, it was about 96 degrees. It was really hot, but I found myself wearing jeans, a tank top, comfortable shoes, and a sweater. Because for me, I was like, well, I'm going to the border. What if I get like deported? Wow. How am I going to be comfortable? What do I need in terms of paperwork? Like I, yeah. I couldn't help it. I was prepared. I always have a go bag. Um, yeah, that, that was really, really powerful and emotional to be like, oh my God, that part of me, it's still in there. 
I know. You are that nine-year-old again. Yeah. Um, and like, all you want to do is hug her. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think that Ahmad is ma magic too. I've seen her so many times at this point and it doesn't change every time in different contexts. It doesn't change. And that you feel that really deep connection I mean, we're in 2023. This should not be happening. What's happening around the world, it's just the constant question, how are we letting this happen? Right? I, I mean, I thought it was crazy in 2016 uh, when I was doing disaster response. I was running a shelter for Haitian refugees that had literally walked, walked from Brazil because they were, they were given work permits there for the Olympics to the United States walked who walks that much you know in 2016 like how like how awful does your life need to be that you risk I mean I met a mom who lost the kid in the middle of the night because the kid walked off a cliff they didn't know they were walking on a cliff like that that is that should not happen I mean here we are in 2023 yeah. Kids are losing their home, their parents, and they're left alone. Like, it is not okay for us to constantly look at kids and pat yeah. them on the back for their resilience. They should not need to be resilient. Like, we should be protecting one another. Um, I think we should be protecting our elders as much as youth. Like, they're folks that need guidance and they need love and they need support and they need protection, right? They're still going through life in different stages of their lives. But nobody should be walking. I mean, Lena, you know, we have a staff member I was just who, say. because of the situation in Turkey, truly felt so unsafe. He sent his family back to Syria. Again, I want people to like li really listen. 2023, Syria is still in shambles. Like they're still being bombed. This family felt that it was safer for his wife and kids to go back to Syria and I think it was you and some staff members that talked him out of going into the boats. Like people are still jumping on boats and he walked, he walked from Turkey to Germany. Like that should not be happening. Yeah. And it's happening so much more now. And, uh, it is, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it sh you're absolutely right. It should not be happening. It continues to happen. And it continues to affect, you know, thousands and thousands of families across the world, like millions of families. Rose. Lena. You know, I wanted to talk about fundraising, but I don't think we're going to be talking about that today. <laughs> but I want everybody to know before we go into the rapid fire questions that Rose is so talented at her work because she brings all of this empathy and all of this lived experience into that 
um, really the art of fundraising. The, and it's really, it's not fundraising in the sense of just about um, raising the money. It really all is all about the connections uh, with people that she brings. You bring your whole self to work every single day. And we all appreciate it so much. And you're so talented and so empathetic and so exuberant. And all of those pieces make you such an important part of our team. And I've, it's a privilege to work with you. You're too kind. But I do have to say we need to talk about fundraising. <laughs> um, and I say that because we're in this space of empathy that, you know, fundraising sometimes feels like this unauthentic conversation um, after even like after our discussion. Right? It's like, well, how do we now transition to fundraising? Well, fundraising is a way of action. And I really look at that. And I do have a love-hate uh, relationship with with my career. Um, but it's really important to talk about Lena because fundraising has been really difficult. Um, it's been difficult because, and I don't, and there is no like blame or pointing fingers. People are exhausted. There's so much going on in the world. It's, it's easier to sometimes shut off and just be disconnected. I mean, you know, just Syria was bombed three times in the last week and a half and that's not in the news, Right. Um, and that that's not to say, you know, what's happening in Gaza isn't um, important, right? It's very important. Like, like I said, like, people should not be becoming refugees. We should not be taking human life in 2023. That just should not be happening. But it is. Um, and there are still over 3.5 million refugees in Turkey. Like, that is the largest amount of refugees. And I just shared with all of you my own personal experience of being there, right? Like, and the reality of things. Um, but fundraising for Karam, and it's not just for Karam, for other nonprofits that do similar work and that are of our size is, has been very difficult. And the reality of it is, and it will continue to be so. So what I would love for everyone listening is, if you can give, I hope you give. Like, and I mean it when I say every dollar counts because your, your dollar is beyond just monetary um, benefit to us as an organization. Your dollar is a validation that every life that we support matters. Like, I, like I'm going to repeat that again. Your, your contributions are a validation of every life that we support matters. Um, you know, the students and the families we help, they don't know the names of our donors. And that's very intentional because when donors visit, we want there to be authentic space and no power dynamic, right? It's like we see what that can do to relationships. And when you show up, when you come to Karam House, your presence validates human lives that benefit from that space. That's just as simple as that. Every dollar matters. Um, and I recognize that, you know, if if this cause, if, you know, supporting Syrian refugees is not a space in this chapter of your life that you want to support financially, that's okay, right? Like you can explore other avenues and it's okay too. And it's important too, because there's so many causes that, that need help. But if you can give, I hope you give, and I hope you give on a monthly basis. It doesn't matter if it's $5 a month or $5,000 a month. Like it's a validation that every life we support matters. Um, if you can share Karam with your friends or family, I mean, share this podcast, right? Like I, my email is accessible. 
I am more than happy to talk about my journey with Karam, my personal journey. I think, you know, storytelling and sharing your story creates space of belonging. It creates space of sharing. Um, but, you know, as a fundraiser, I have to say, like, um, we need we need you to share Karam with the people you know. We need you to share Karam with, you know, any foundations that you know. Um, fundraising has been difficult and it will continue to be so. However, Karam will continue to exist because there is there will always be space, unfortunately, for need for Karam. Um, so if you can donate a dollar, if you can share Karam with 10 people in the next seven days, right? That's like, a let's say if you can share Karam with 10 people in the next 10 days, that's one person per day. That is so powerful. Um, with that, I also, I want to ask you a question before we jump into the rapid fire question, Lena. You know, you are an inspirational human being. You're very authentic. Um, and you show up. And I love that every time you ask the question of what do the people on the ground need? And you follow that question of, you, you follow up with that question by asking our staff, well, have you spoken with them? Did you hear from them that this is what they need? And, you know, you very much, I love, I love your method of work, which is let's solve the problem that we can solve. Like, let, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's meet this need. And then we can worry about the rest and what that means. And I love that you, that that's just how you live life. And that's the space you've created at Kerem. And like that, that I feel an emotional connection to, and that feeds my soul. So my question to you is what keeps you fighting this fight? Cause it's exhausting. Being resilient is exhausting and you too are resilient, but what fuels your fire? I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, people have been asking me this for a, a long time. Like, I think the whole journey, people ask me, like, what keeps you going? And it does come down to the same thing. I mean, it comes down to when we, when I see, when I actually, because I get down a lot. And this year was probably the most difficult year for me, um, personally and professionally. It's just been nonstop the whole year. And, um, I think we're all very tired for the past few years. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do all of the fundraising tasks that Rose puts on my plate. And I don't want to do the other stuff. <laughs> and I definitely don't want to be doing, you know, the logistical pieces. But then you go and because work is not inspirational day in, day out for sure. But then you have these conversations with people on the ground and, you know, kids. Uh, I call them kids, the young adults. Um, like Yusuf, we brought on a, a call a couple weeks ago with um, with Kerem supporters, and he's just so filled with energy. And you know, he started. He's a chemical weapons survivor and a hunger siege survivor. And every time I think about what he lived through as a child outside of Damascus, is like what you said. It's 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 shameful that any person live through this in, you know, in, in this century that we live in and continue. And he lived through all of that and multiple displacements and everything stacked against him. And so many things similar to what you went through of being an outsider in a new country. And, and, and now he's like a 23 year old um, person who is in university and has a side gig and has a full-time job and got his father, his job and brought a space, opened up a space for Kerem and is constantly like, it's exactly, exactly you know embodies what it means when you flip that switch 
switch, which is what I really believe Karam does. We flip that switch between um, refugee as as just a victim and not being able ever to have agency to refugee as like, yeah, I'm a refugee, but I'm a million other things too. And I deserve to have all of my dreams. And, and, and we did that with him. I mean, he did it too, but we were there for him and he, and he is so grateful for that, for Karam House and the experience and the opportunities. It at, it, at its essence is bringing all these people in and basically saying, you're not your experience. You have the right to do whatever you want to do in life. And when we, and you actually begin to see that actually happening in the world, there's no other, there's no better thing because I see it working. And that's what makes me like, okay, then all of the other stuff that drains you. And sometimes when you feel like it's endless or, you know, when the earthquake happened and it's this massive tragedy. And, but at the same time, it's also like we went backwards so far. Like I never thought we would have to be doing humanitarian aid and then you just jump right back in and it's very hard to go back in after you left that space for so long as a community. I'm not talking as a person, as an organization and a community. And then you just have to accept it and say, look, okay, we're here now and we have to keep going. But that magic that's happening with the young people and with families and that transformation, it's constantly happening. And you never know which experience, you never know which studio, which mentor, um, which which thing that sparked the light in these young people that have no sense of belonging and feel so um, detached from everything. And then years later, I'll find out like, oh, this specific person who worked at the front desk inspired me, or this specific visiting mentor who came for one week from America, and she completely changed my life and how I think about things. That's literally what changes young people's lives. And I believe that I know it happened with me when I was young. I know it happens with everybody has these defining moments. And so I see Karam at its essence, you know, we're doing all of these like things, but at its essence is putting those moments into people's lives, young people's lives that help them understand that they are, they are valued and they belong and they, and, and we believe in their futures and they, and they become dreamers. That's what I, that's what we want to do. We want to make yeah, them well, Thank you. I love that so much. Well, thank you for creating this space. We're myself included. People from all different backgrounds and experiences can, can feel like this is the place where they belong. So rapid fire questions. Um, our first one is to complete this sentence. Home is where? Home is where I can be authentic, unfiltered, and my rawest self. If you had to leave your home and take one belonging with you as a memory, what would it be? I don't have one, but I do. I don't have a lot of stuff, and I think I, I recognize again, like in my, I did disaster work, and I responded to a lot of wildfires. Um, and things can just disappear. So I've learned over the years not to have attachment to things. Um, however, um, I'm very practical. I mean, living on a boat, we have this thing that's called an offshore ditch kit. It's basically for this purpose. If there's a hole in your boat, you're sinking, um, you throw your life raft and you grab your ditch kit, which has all your the communication devices you'll need, food, medication for you to survive. Um, but what I, no one knows this. So you're the first person I'm sharing this with what I have created in the last year 
is I created a brand new email account where I email myself um, experiences and memories um, that I have so that there's something I can go back to to remember, but also maybe someday I can share, um, you know, with my family or if, if we ever um, are in a space where we want to have kids and are able to have kids, maybe it's something that I can share with them and that can exist without the fear of it yeah. being taken away or, you know, disappearing unless, you know, major technological issues happen. <laughs> What's one piece of advice you would give to a young refugee who's trying to find belonging in a new place? I think about this often. Um, I would say, you know, your experience is unique to you. However, the challenges you face are not uncommon. Um, you know, may, many people grapple with uh, finding a sense of belonging and navigating life's complexities. I think it's really, really important to recognize you're not alone in that struggle because if you get into that mindset, that's when you feel isolated. I mean, isolation can be very dangerous. So I would say you don't always have to search for a place of belonging. Uh, when, if you can really sit and figure out what, who you are and what you need right now, you can create that space for other people to show up and so that you're not alone and they're not alone. So, you know, life can surprise you with unexpected conditions. So I encourage, I encourage you to create a space where other people can show up as themselves and they might surprise you. Um, and I think Karam is a perfect, perfect example of this, right? Karam is just a space. It's a beautiful space, but it's just a space. And the magic is Absolutely. the people. And, you know, my life's motto is, strangers are friends waiting to be made <laughs> so create that space that. to make more friends give us a list of three unexpected places people must visit in your hometown and I don't know what you would define as your hometown if you're going to call it <sighs> the water around you <laughs> um my hometown is planet earth I think I really really feel that um in New York there is Prince Street Pizza. It's a hole in the wall. It's in Soho. It's popular, so it's not like it's not unheard of. But there's something in their dough that every time, every time I'm in New York, I like go out of my way to grab their pizza. So I highly encourage folks. Um, being in Turkey, I think Rize, which is uh, the town that I was born in, but I grew up in Istanbul, but I was the, born there and we have tea farms. I would say everybody everybody must go because, um, it's magic. It's like, um, the best way to describe it is, you know, it's, it's the arms of the black sea that embrace the land. And it, it's like, it's whispering tales of ancient stories while on the other side, um, you have the tea scented mountains that it feels like they just cradle your soul and it is, it's magic. Um, so I hope, wow. I hope that everybody can can go and be in this space. Um, I'm a huge, huge um, food fan. I'm very food motivated. Bakeries are my jam. So in San Francisco, there's this place called, um, I apologize if I mispronounce it. It's a French word, uh, Arsicult. Um, it's, there's two, but the one on Clement Street is the one I bike to. 
the best croissants I've ever had in the United States because, you know, I haven't (laughs) left much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I will for their croissants. Um, And then in one of my road trips, I'll give you a fourth because this one truly is like a hole in the wall. Um, one of my road trips with Chris was very much ice cream themed. So everywhere we went, we would find like the best ice cream that people would say is in their hometown. And we've been to lots of creameries and ice cream spaces. There's this place called Sassy Cow Creamery in Wisconsin and on like Bristol Road. It's, it's just a creamery. Like they have milk and cows, but they do ice cream just, I think, bring people in and sit and they have the most incredible ice cream and grilled cheese and tomato soup. It is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know, but I highly recommend you do a family trip because it's incredible. Global list. And so we, I'm, I'm excited to share that with everybody (laughs) and for all of us to look at those places. What dish tastes like home to you? I don't have a specific dish, but I think a traditional Turkish breakfast just feels home. That's what feels home. Because my mom is a big breakfast person. And I mean, we can have this at any time of day. And sometimes I'll create that table like on the boat for Chris and I or friends. And there's just something about seeing the simplicities of the cheeses and the olives and the tomatoes um, that just make me feel so at ease. So my last question is, if there's a book or a series of books that you recommend to your friends, you would recommend to us listeners to read something that you've loved? I would say any book by the author Elif Shafak, who I was introduced to last year in one of my book clubs. Um, She's a Turkish author and activist and feminist. Um, I'm in this stage in my life where I really want to expose myself to accomplish um, Turkish folks, whether they're authors or they're in medicine or they're in their politics. Um, I'm now open. I'm open to learning more about my culture and the different different people that make up that culture and how they walk through life. Um, and she does a masterful, masterful job at kind of having the reader look um, beyond the narrow-minded ideas by telling stories with characters that don't fit like the typical national history. So she does just a beautiful job at blending Turkish culture and other cultures. And really when you read her book, you know, there's multiculturalism in it from the lens of an activist and a feminist. And it's incredible. And I've, I've gifted my mom some of her books in Turkish and I'm really excited for her to read it. So like we can discuss and dive into a different part of our relationship. Um, I, I don't get giddy over people, but Elif Hanum, if you're listening, I would love to meet you and like have a croissant and a cappuccino and just learn about your life. Like if I could meet one person, I think it would be her for me. Um, The Secret by Rhonda Bryn, I think is controversial, but it's a book that I read when I was in high school. It's about, it's a self-help book about, you know, the believe in law of attraction that if you manifest something that you'll get it. And it's controversial because, you know, I think some people are, well, you're not just going to get the thing you say you want. Yes, of course. But I love it because at that time in my life, when I read it, 
what I walked away with is it's so important to manifest the thing that you want, whether you talk to people about it, whether you write it. And for me, that's talking about the thing that I really want to do with people, because then I feel a sense of um, ownership. It's like, oh my God, I'm talked about this. I need to hold myself accountable and not focus on it, right? Not, Not focus on that goal, but just manifest it, talk about it, and then walk, like work towards that without like focusing too much on it. And that, that was really pivotal for me. So I would highly recommend people read it, read it with an open mind and also, you know, take away from it what works with your life and, and, you know, um, and how you live. Mm -hmm. And the last book, it's another (laughs) self-help book that I read at that same stage in my life is called Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. It's like, I think it's 40 pages. It's, it's like so, so thin and so short. Um, but it's about how life won't always give you what you want and when you want it. And sometimes things change unexpectedly. Uh, but if you find ways to adapt and overcome our fears, right, that, that word fears, uh, good things will happen again. And I really, really, really related to that because it's about like the whole book is about a maze, cheese, and, and like mm-hmm. rats and mice. That's it. Like he tells the story from, from this image. Um, and I've read it maybe three times in my life and I'm in the stage where I'd like to go back and read it again. So those three, so anything from Elif Shafak, the secret and who moved my cheese. Thank you so much, Rose. I mean, these are great. This is a great set of recommendations of places and books that we can all dive into Um, you did manifest your life on a boat. So I'm going to take that one pretty seriously. Yeah. Well, I never made that connection. Rose Gul, (laughs) such a pleasure to have you on Belongings. It was a great conversation. I'm really inspired and moved by your story. I learned a lot about you. I'm grateful that you were open to share all of these details with everybody. And I know that this conversation is going to be very meaningful to others as well. Well, Lena, thank you so much for giving me the space to share. Um, and thank you to our listeners that are taking the time out of the day to listen and hopefully donate and share. Bye, everybody. Cut up. <laughs>